Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Care Morn, a very beloved location. I believe it's in Cadewin, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, this is where the home, <laughs> he's got his map behind him. Yeah, that's one little, one of the small complaints I would have about the season is how Jetpack. people seem to have gotten back and forth from Care Morn. <laughs> but whatever. You, you never know exactly how much time has passed. Sometimes it seems like it was just a minute, but actually they implied like a week or two past. All aboard the continent. Uh, for example, at, at the end of this episode, there's definitely a time jump between episode two and episode three because clearly yeah. Siri has been training I, for a bit. Or one thing I think that was uh, really interesting about this is when the episode titled leak before the season, I think this is one of the most highly anticipated episodes because Siri was going to come train there and we, were, we knew that we were going to get Vesemir. We knew he was cast in the show and all of that. Towards the end of this episode two review, guys, we're going to talk a little bit about Lauren Hisrich and her comments and some of the character changes and stuff like that. But there are definitely some things I did not enjoy about changes. And I think a lot of the fandom feels that way too. But understandably, this is an adaptation. Nothing can be one-to-one. And I did understand why they made some of these changes. So Great mythology elements, we're going to get into that, and characters that we get to meet that are going to be long-lasting characters throughout the series. And yeah, overall, I just really enjoyed this episode. We're going to talk about here, there's a little bit of context for what we're about to say here. Yeah, I feel like this episode, it definitely got a lot of criticism from book readers and people who already know the story, and we're all going to criticize it, at least that part of it, or some parts of it. I mean, the three of us, I mean. But Having watched it multiple times, I definitely liked it a lot more the second time because I was no longer confused. I was no longer trying to just, my brain wasn't subconsciously trying to scramble and attach everything to what I already knew. I I wasn't just sitting back and enjoying it for what it was and seeing how it connects. That said, I still have criticisms, but it was way better for me the second time. Like you said, Kyle, other people have criticized it. It's the lowest rated episode on IMDb, but it's still 7.8, which is still pretty good. It's not certainly not bad. There's a lot to like about this episode, even with those criticisms. And regarding adaptations, I will say this. Look around at all of your favorite shows that were adaptations. How many of them actually hewed that close to the source material? Very few of them, probably. There's always exceptions, but most adaptations have to make significant changes. And I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of thinking they did that just to put their own stamp on it. They did that just because they didn't like the author's vision. That's true sometimes, but I think we should be very careful just jumping to that conclusion. But that doesn't mean they can't make mistakes when they make the yeah. right choice to change things, right? Like you can have it, it can be both. It can be a smart change that wasn't mm-hmm. executed that well. So that's yeah. my opening spiel. What about you, McCall? <laughs> yeah, and I definitely had some problems with this episode in terms of like how effective what they were going for was. Still some very cool imagery and great to see Siri and, and Geralt at Kermoran. The stuff with Yennefer and Francesca and Frangilla, which by the way, typing Francesca and Frangilla is going to be fun <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> um, Say I, that, that, that five times fast, by the way. Just like... 
Yeah, right? <laughs> um, that, that was very creepy, a very cool thematic. Also, it doesn't make that much sense, or at least you have to think about it really hard, but it's definitely atmospheric and very cool. And yeah, I think it's painful when a character, like Gaskell isn't a massive character in the books, but like, he's someone that like you can attach to a little bit. And I, as I understand, he's a much bigger character in the game. So it's painful when you're looking for that character to be represented or someone like that that you really like to be represented on screen. And then this happens. Yeah. I totally get that. And I wasn't that satisfied with it either. That said, like having watched the entirety of the season, I think that what they were going for was actually quite effective and was very Like the structure powerful. of the season, you're saying? In its own way. Yeah. And just in what it does to, to certain characters and like, yeah. Yeah. That's part of why rewatching made a big difference for me because then I was like, oh, this is what this is leading to. Once I saw their picture, saw their vision for it and see how it tied into the book elements that were changed, the same things but done differently. The fact that Deathless Mother basically is connected to the Wild Hunt, well, that makes it all make a lot more sense, right? Like the Wild Hunt's after Siri. So yeah, there you go. Like she's part of that. Okay. And then this whole thing about not being safe at home, that was a theme that they really wanted to push that's less a part of the books, but it makes sense to have that. I like that. I like the way they evolved Geralt's thinking on how to handle Ciri is first he starts with like, I just need to protect her. And then by the end of this episode, he's like, nope, we're not even safe at home. We're not even safe at home in the winter when no one knows where we are. We start off with a dream sequence here from Yen, and there's really interesting imagery here. Things are not quite what they seem, but we've got the stuff that we see in there, kind of Yennefer's dream of having a child. We know she can't have that. We've obviously had Geralt say some pretty harsh things about that. We wouldn't be good parents. All of these kind of references about it so far into their relationship. (laughs) And then we see some more disastrous elements, some more kind of prophetic things maybe that lead to some future elements of the story. So it's a pretty interesting dream sequence, don't you think? I laughed so hard and I can't <laughs> wait to grow old together. <laughs> it's like, oh man, that's, this is so clear. <laughs> They're both really old already, yeah, which is why it's even more... Deathless. They're They're both already like 100, so that's why it's even more funny. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I like, too, how, like, young-slash-alternate Geralt is just ponytail Geralt. They just tie his hair back. Because in this episode, also, they have flashback with Eskel, and that's to say, it's like, oh, so that's how you just denote that. The other way is to take off the blue filter. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see that I have a blue light because I was paying homage to the blue filter that's in almost every scene of The Witcher, but they take it off for dreams. So that kind of helps you tell right away that it's a dream because there's no blue filter like hey where's the blue oh this is a dream no wonder so that's a little clue for y'all to keep an eye out for if the blue filter's gone mm, and then we have a baby bursting into flames which happens to someone later on in the season so quite ominous yeah, McCall, you had an interesting take on that. Do you think that was one of the only ways they could show the child dying, or is that supposed to tie into Francesca's baby murdering at the end of the season, like mass killing? It's like, whoa, that's hardcore. Well, Jeez. I think we might see a rune. I, I did watch it again, but I, I don't remember. Do we see a rune on Yennefer's baby? We never see the baby, okay. I don't think. I don't think we ever see it. We, we only see, like, a, the bundle and then in the crib. All you see is flames right. emanate from the so, crib. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think we're supposed to at least thematically connect it. Like, we don't... This is going to be horrible, but, like, we don't see smoke or anything in the town. But I wouldn't <laughs> totally discount it, I guess I would say. I think what you can 
fairly assume is that there is, at least for the babies, some kind of internal heat pain going on because like the the color of the rune is like reddish orange and they're crying a lot and we also know uh, that fire magic is linked to chaos as well we learn more in the next few couple of episodes too without spoiling too much Rienz, you know him and he's someone that's definitely not lawful good very good point but i think that that's definitely no. more showcased more <laughs> I mean, in the that, books right as he's what, like that is something that fire magic is like yeah this forbidden thing that you shouldn't do yeah. I think it's pretty well done in the show, pretty well explained in the show. Basically, like Yennefer has that confrontation with the Deathless Mother, or the little girl, who did a great job, by the way. I tried to find that actress, but I think this is her first role ever. She's like, burned yourself <laughs> out at Sodden, did you? Like, mm-hmm. fire magic's dangerous. So yeah, it was pretty explicit, I think. She says, give her to me, she's ours. Like, whoa. <laughs> that's like, yes. So another thing that's interesting about this this scene, I think, is that Francesca and Frangilla are both having their corresponding dreams of the hooded figure at the same time, and they're both seeing what they want, right? Francesca is seeing a, a horrible maze full of elven bodies, and then she comes out and Dawn is rising on a new elven kingdom, and Frangilla is seeing, is like remembering being rescued or being imprisoned and then being rescued by Emir. So I think it's really interesting that what the Deathless Mother offers Yennefer first is what she wanted all of season one, right? Like, she wouldn't shut up about having a kid. It was all she wanted. And that's what she offers her here. And it's like her easy gambit way into getting Yennefer to do what she wants, and then and it doesn't work. So it's really amazing when they get to the actual scene, and both Fringilla and Francesca are still on those tracks. I mean, suspicious to various levels, but still consistently with that. And it doesn't at all work. Like, she, the Deathless Mother has to completely change tack with Yennefer and yeah, you I know, have a theory about you know what I really love that. about this is like the idea of mm-hmm. desires is not exactly your destiny. And Frangelic has an epiphany about it. She's like, well, I'm staying faithful. Like, you know what I mean? Like this is my path. And Yennefer is a little bit less optimistic. I think, you know what I mean? Because of her life experiences clearly. But uh, I think that's the interesting yeah. thing that this death, this mother offers. We see their desires and not necessarily their destiny. So it's like, I really love that about the kind of whole vision. Yeah, it's like a classic uh, de- deal with the it devil is, sort yeah. of thing, right? Yeah, like pretty straightforward almost. From the chat here, Amanda Molinos suggests maybe that's supposed to be Siri. Yeah. Uh, the child, since Jennifer, if Jennifer is going to adopt Siri, that might be... Who else? I mean, give her to me. She's ours. That's They do want Siri. They don't care about Jennifer's non-existent baby that she can't have. Geralt, Siri, right. and Yennefer's yeah. destinies are all linked together. And yeah, the, the kind of irony of Geralt saying, oh, we never be good parents. And then we see the situation that they're in later on is ironic. Like, oh, OK, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like like we, like we that's their baby. That's, Siri is technically their kid you know, if Geralt and Yennefer stay together. The other important element of, of this deal here mm. is that all three of them are desperate. Fringilla is desperate. She's failed. She's worried about being executed or whatever. And obviously, Francesca's desperation is rooted in the outcome of her entire species. So she's got a huge burden to bear. And Yennefer, it's different. You know, no, one, no one's really depending on her. She's not like going to die because of someone else is going to kill her. Not a specific person. She's obviously without her power. She's at a lot of risk, but it's not one person putting her at risk. It's not like one agency is going to come for her. So she has a little more perspective. I think maybe she just has more perspective anyway. She's not a person who was guided by faith nearly as much as these other two characters. But that's a really huge element here because that explains why they go for it. Why Frangilla realizes that's not M here. (laughs) And Francesca openly says, you're not Ithlin, are you? 
issue, mm-hmm. but still goes along with it because they, they're, they both think that they're they can getting what they want. This deal, which is typical yeah. of a deal with the devil, right? You think you've got all the cards, really? <laughs> sure, right? Another thing I find so interesting about this is that the mother basically demands that they ask of her. They ask something of her, and they each ask for what they want. So she's like, okay, I'll give it to you. And Yennefer refuses to ask for anything. So this is the the root of my theory that Yennefer actually doesn't lose her magic at Sodden. I, I don't know that the show really supports this, but I don't think she loses her magic at Sodden. We don't see her having the opportunity to use magic. She's in Demirthian chains, like, through all of episodes. She makes one comment about how she's, like, feeling off. But then the person who tells her that she no longer has her magic because of Sodden is the Deathless Mother. And she's taunting her with this reality. Whereas what I think happened is that the Deathless Mother was like, fine, you're not going to ask me. I'm going to take from you. And then eventually... I'll get what I want from you. You're going to have to ask exactly. for Because Jennifer exactly. wished that her, essentially, family didn't want to die at the Battle of Sodden to clarify things. I mean, Nilfgaard would have probably defeated him if it wasn't yeah. for Yennefer, let's be honest here. And it's pretty interesting, though. I mean, you ask for something from the devil, there's going to be consequences. You know what I'm saying? Which, which is what we see. I ended up really liking Francesca later in the season, and I really dislike her in this episode because she's mm. so, like, <laughs> stubborn and just... Zealous, yeah, with, without, yeah. like, the what to back it. And, like, I don't like characters who are like, yes, let's go down into this tunnel surrounded by ceremonial corpses <laughs> and recite this rhyme. This will be fine. It's fine. Like, you really don't see <laughs> yeah, the danger exactly. here. I mean... Which is why I feel bad for, like, Francesca and Fringilla and, and Yennefer, because they're both, uh, not sure about this. I feel really bad for Yennefer specifically, because she's the one who was like, this is a really bad idea. How many of yeah. you would open a tomb with a skeleton with three skulls on it? Just want to get a perspective. I, I definitely... Like, oh, and then you have the ones kneeling by the side. And you know what? In the news, this is unrelated, but people of Earth, archaeologists, stop opening sarcophagi, okay? I'm tired of this. I don't want uh, no deathless mother to be released on Earth, man, okay? That's what we offer to them. We say, look, we know, we've seen a lot of movies. We know, don't open the tombs like (laughs) especially it just opens in front of you like what guys come on yeah and it's like immediately as soon as they open the tomb the stairs open you hear the whisper this is hard to catch by the way because if you don't have subtitles on you probably didn't see this because there's a whisper that says take back your forests she's telling francesca exactly what she wants to hear it's like oh yeah that's what we want to do we want to take back our forests let's go in here they're telling us what we want Jennifer says, she's no god. You guys, she's like, you guys are being so dumb. Um, <laughs> Flat yeah. out calls Which is, it. Calls it's so interesting that Jennifer is just not that susceptible to desperation in that way. Like, I think she is so used to mm. losing things. I think we can discuss how effective overall the Deathless Mother plot is, but Jennifer's refusal to give in and the length of time that it takes her to finally give in to that and how stubborn she is in holding out. I agree with that, but also if you look at like Fringilla, Yennefer stepped in and took her job and then Francesca and the elves, like they they haven't had a smidgen of what they want. They've had crumbs. So I think their situations are more desperate, like we've been saying, for sure. No, it's true. It's true. That's Yeah, I guess it's like a very... Yeah. Yennefer is coming from being a a disabled person and living like such a horrible life, I guess, is what I'm really focusing on. She's maybe experienced more pleasure and happiness than the other two, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's also just been very well established that she's 
very resistant to organization and she's she, does, she doesn't conform you know? for she sure does have to join things throughout the series but she does yeah she's a super super aggressive non-conformist <laughs> she's a ball of she will not accept yeah she knows she recognizes a deal's being forced on her and she's smart enough to realize that can't be good for her she's no way she's going to benefit significantly from a deal yeah from evil ancient that evil witch is no old god that's yeah it's very she's extremely explicit about it but she's also like running through the forest, like trying to cast spells and, and crying because she can't. This just goes to show how powerful the magic of the Deathless Mother is. She sees into her memories because, of course, she can get into dreams so if, uh, that kind of fits with that. It's pretty hardcore. She brings back Yennefer's memories of suicide. She's like, oh, you're not desperate? I'll show you desperate as you've ever been. There's a really amazing line. She says, I want your desperation crisp. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when it, it cuts to her bleeding from the wrists. And then she wakes up and she looks at her wrists. But she's still like, no. We do see some foreshadowing like, no. <laughs> there to the final episode where Yennefer offers to uh, sacrifice herself. We won't talk about that too much. But that was uh, a little bit of a glimpse of the future, too. So there's a mix. There yeah, was a well, mix. It's funny. You can't. It's almost like the Deathless Mother and her desperation sort of gave you yeah. the answer. I don't understand how it worked, to be honest. I still, that's all a little fuzzy to me, a lot fuzzy, to be honest. But like, I think she did. I felt like there. she did offer that a little bit to each of them too. Like, you know what I mean? She like played with their desires, but also offered a glimpse of their future. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, I guess just she, I think maybe the, the Deathless Mother recognizes her resistance and thinks, oh, well, I can break you. Which is an interesting inversion. She doesn't have faith, yet she's not broken because of it, which is the opposite of what happened in episode one, where Cahir's faith is what kept him from being broken. Yeah. Uh, so that's a kind of a neat inversion. Another really good line here is when they're trying to get at Phil Evandrel, we haven't even mentioned him yet. Phil Evandrel comes out. But he has that awesome scene where he sits down with them, with Francesca and Francesca's brother. That's, I don't know if that was I clear. I did not think he other, was a good like, actor. Brad, <laughs> they're talking about how faith can lead us and how she mm. was elected because of that. He was their logical, hardcore, like straightforward leader, but now they're desperate, so they need faith. And there's this great line, faith's a simple medicine for desperate souls. Because Yennefer's like talking to Phil Evangel. So she's going with that angle. She's trying to get in good with him by agreeing with his unspoken position. But Frangilla doesn't get it. And she's, of course, faithful. She's like, faith sustains us all in dark times. And that was so powerful when he doesn't drink the, the fake hunger sustenance, right? Like there, he's like, this will keep you going. And he's like, nah, I'm not drinking that. He doesn't want to lie to himself. It's really symbolic and powerful. <laughs> They're in their different colored robes, and that's part of how they are able to realize they're dreaming of the same thing. That enables them to have this connection, I think, uh, to realize they're all dreaming about the same thing. If they didn't have that, they may not have worked together. They shouldn't have worked together on this. They should have just run away. But <laughs> given that they <laughs> were drawn in there together, it was, that was part of her plan. How about that? runes and the mosaics when they're walking through there all the conjunction stuff we got you got, mm -hmm. got a couple of those we saw season. that uh, we first <laughs> talked a little bit about that when uh, i caught it when we had pavetta and duny being married on uh, the banquets episode when pavetta's getting sick and she's literally pregnant with siri she barfs on the conjunction and that's funny because siri is opening up conjunctions <laughs> yeah. and that opened up the world to siri so that's pretty interesting and i found that's interesting there too because the deathless mother being this I guess we'll use otherworldly power again because the conjunction connects with other worlds. I feel like that's a safe word to use. Yeah. Yeah. And that's yeah. why I appreciate the doing that because in the books, 
there's not that much on the conjunction spheres. It's like this thing that happened and you just forget about it. But the magic that gets used towards the end of the series by various people and powers and stuff mm. is very related to that. So it makes sense to tie it all together and show that this is the magic they're after. They're after this particular power for their own goals, their own evil goals. They I nailed that this season. That was like, that we all agreed on that. That was a great part of the season. I, I cannot speak any more it right now. Otherwise, we will have a whole episode of Kyle talking about mythology. So. <laughs> Clever way that they work the mythology in here, too. Francisca's brother's like, we burned a lot of our own temples rather than letting them fall into your hands, the human hands, which is like mm-hmm. sour grapes. It sounds like that. But on reflection, I'm thinking it's not just sour grapes. It's definitely part sour grapes. But part of it is... Look what happens when humans get elven magic. Well, we can't forget history, right? <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, well. el- elves took humans in, <laughs> they taught them magic, and then elves, dwarves, and all sorts of other creatures were literally pushed to the brink of extinction. So, yeah. Exactly. And we, uh, Mikael well uh, always has you know, such, such a strong voice in mentioning that humans can be the biggest monsters. It's one of the biggest themes of the series, especially with uh, Mr. Amir being uh, introduced and Mr. Vilgefortz. Yeah. This interesting line, uh, to say I said elven mages were dead, she was wrong, or she lied. Neither is a surprise. So that's like a sign that <laughs> Yen's a little down on to say, but that didn't have resolution so much this season, but it's certainly something that's ongoing. Uh, <laughs> did you guys have a reaction to that one? Uh, she's an authority figure. Yennefer's not going to be nice about her, <laughs> like no matter how she really feels. Good point. Yennefer Good point. does not like to be bossed around, and that's right. why I like her. <laughs> yeah. And that's part of what I really loved about the episode, too. The Elven stuff was so strong this season, and we're going to continue to talk about that in our other episodes. But we previewed that through talking through our podcast episodes just on the books, and now we're getting some of that. Obviously, Blood of Elves and going forward, we know that there's going to be bigger conflict because what happens at the end of the season. But I, I just love it so much because we didn't get very much of that. I felt like one of the short stories that wasn't adapted so well was obviously the Edge of the World stuff. And it's okay because we can't have everything be perfect. You know what I mean? But we did get that kind of yeah. sense of, oh, things are not all right in Elven world. And I, I can definitely see why he picked Francesca because she's definitely decisive, that's for sure. But a uh, uh, good thing she has <laughs> Phil Evandrel there to balance her out in a more kind of. We get Phil Evandrel's chill vibes, disease. You're the one who really mentioned this to me, like in The Nightmare of the Wolf. I. Like, you know how chill he is with Vesemir? So it's cool It's cool to see that vibe balancing out Francesca's more fiery nature. <laughs> yeah, they really keep... They're really a fiery good... Well said. I see what you did there. Yeah, Phil Evandrel's character is pretty consistent throughout all his many appearances. Like, it's funny that he's now captured Yennefer, Fragilla, Geralt, and Yaskir. He just has to capture Ciri. The one they want most of all, he hasn't captured, but... He's very loyal to his people. He's like, he totally does not agree with Francesca's path. But he's She's like, the best but choice, I'm, yeah. There's no yeah. question. I'm following it because I'm an elf. My people depend on me. So that's, that was present very strongly in Nightmare of the Wolf, present very strongly in season one, even though he doesn't have a big role. The theme of, yeah. Strongly here, so good character. The theme of faith was huge this season, for sure. 
Yeah. Frangilla says, look, we could be allies. Uh, the White Flame wants to punish the people who are oppressing your people. And he's like, thieving from a thief only makes you the latest thief. Or does he plan to give Zentrea back after he's done dancing on Calanthe's grave? Hopefully y'all caught that little in-joke there. The White Flame <laughs> dancing on Calanthe's <laughs> grave. Mm, yes, yes. Mm. Love it. <laughs> I hope at some point they give us the full title because it's really. <laughs> but it is very Daenerys-esque with all of his now yeah. that's a good time for Game of Thrones compared to you. Who has a longer mm. title? <laughs> so two other really good lines I thought that are worth mentioning about human prejudice and human centrism that the elves are really bitter about. One line is talking about this conjunction of the spheres. The heavens roared and the realms collided. It's survivors lost and forsaken in a new world. And then the brother's like, maybe you. <laughs> he's he's like, ours. bitch, you <laughs> stole it from us. <laughs> yeah. And then Francesca says, wouldn't be the first time humans cried witch at the sign of elven power. Actually, I think that might've been the brother too, but it's the same point. Like, yeah, you're right. Like when a human does magic, it's like, okay. But when an elf does it, it's like, witch, witch. And so that's an important part of the witcher is the prejudice that is huge and important mm-hmm. and ongoing and double-edged let's be clear <laughs> referring to your thing about her power that line is about Jennifer using her power there's this line you felt it since sodden or rather haven't felt it but you'd rather be blind than see the truth so she's trying to give her the same level of denial which you which you as you said mccall may have been dishonest she may have she may be the reason for that yeah so maybe we'll find out later i mean i i I really uh, like that as a just i mean for a lot of reasons but also i just i like the idea that yennefer did this really good thing and actually did release some of her chaos and bad feelings and and embraced her full the fullness of her power and like it didn't mess her up and i would prefer it to be a a trick but i I feel like i'm the only one with this theory so (laughs) (laughs) Well, now you've spread it. We'll see if other people uh, agree or disagree. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Arriving at Kaer Morn. <laughs> it's, it was pretty epic. As a player of the game, I have certain imagery of Kaer Morn. And reading the books, you obviously have certain imagery in what your mind you might think it looked like. But I thought it was uh, pretty awesome looking, just as far as Kaer Morn's look and the kind of vibes of it. We got to see a little bit of that in Nightmare of the Wolf, and I thought that was it was pretty similar. We got the tree in the middle and got all of that. What were your first impressions of Kara Morn in the entrance scene? We get all the bros getting there together and Siri trailing. And there's just this sort of kind of energy about it that was really epic. And it was like, ah, we're at home. I don't know. I just loved it. I liked it. Some of the great stuff in the books is the camaraderie and the multiple Siri dad slash big brother raising her. Like that part of the story is really wonderful. Yeah. I didn't like super fangirl about it, but I thought it was... Nice Ryan says, enter. back to daddy daycare. <laughs> Care, daddy daycare. Nice. <laughs> yeah, so it's really neat to me the inversion of this early part of this moment or the scene, the stuff at Care Morn, which is that 
Winter is usually a time of things resetting. One good thing is there's no war in winter. That's an important thing because uh, you just can't move armies around very effectively. But these witchers are, are all, for the same reason, these witchers are all out fighting, not in wars, but they're out fighting monsters during winter. Here, this is their one time when they're pretty safe. Of course, that's completely broken by events that come after this. But there's this great line from Vesemir where he says, each of your faces is cause for celebration. I didn't fully grasp that at first. Like, of course, it's, he's glad to see them because he knows them and he's fond of them and he's sort of a father to them. Just really take a minute to think about the anxiety that a lot of them are facing. Like, who's going to come back this year? Like, who's gonna, who, who did we lose this year? Like... Is Eskel going to show up? Is Geralt going to show up? Is he? Is that the... It, Last I checked, there were 20. Yeah. And that's the, for one of the first things that you hear is that line. She asks, like, how many are there? And she, he's like, probably less now. And oh, way less after this. Was it like seven? Five? <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Pretty much most of the ones that we did, hadn't heard of from the... Basilisks. Book, yeah. Almost all yeah, that was annoying. It was like, oh, I love seeing so many witchers. Oh, they're all, they're all red shirts. Okay. Cohen Lambert, yeah, at least, I guess. So one of the things that didn't work for Eskel that could have worked better, I'm not saying that would have fixed it, but the stuff that comes after this episode is them lamenting his loss and having memories of him and showing why they liked him. That should have probably done, been done first because people didn't know that in the moment of tension, how painful it was for Geralt and Vesemir. You can assume some things like he's their friend, he, they know him, but he comes off as a jerk when he first arrives. So it's not as painful of a loss and you don't feel the character's pain because you don't realize how close he is to them until after. Geralt's pretty down about it, but you obviously don't see that right away. Yeah, I think that was a main issue for me in that, like, he just comes in and starts acting like an asshole. And I'm like, so my impression is he's an asshole. Yeah. The end. He puts them all in danger with the bringing the sex workers there. Like, that was just said. Like, yeah, in the beginning, uh, Geralt's like, we don't tell anyone where it is because that's how we like it. We don't want people to know where it is. And then Alice school's like, hey, here we are. Come on in this way. Uh, uh, I see what you're saying, Mikhail, because at the start of the third episode, you get this really sweet, tender moment of Geralt and Eskel, and you're like, oh, why couldn't there have been a little bit of that first and then been like, oh, okay, like he started to get really infected and stuff. Like, even if they had like 15 seconds of that or like 20 seconds of that, that would have made a huge difference, I think. I yeah. wish that they hadn't killed Eskel in this episode and had him as the Leshy oh. and then like have them all going through like you have this on medical shows, like oh, if yeah. the member of the hospital mm. team is like badly injured, they're all like remembering how important that person was to them and like how great they are. So it was seeing like this monstrous version of Eskel compared to the the memories that they have of him and trying to really save him and then maybe not being able to, I think would have accomplished the same thing with emphasizing the danger that can exist in Kermoran without while also giving us more of an investment. And then that would have been crazy too if Asco was the one calling to Siri and knowing that there's this like intruder, you know what I mean? Like, oh, you're safe nowhere. You know what I mean? Like, holy shit, these monsters can take over the ones you love. Like, I mean, we obviously know that Geralt Bulls later on, like that's the thing. He's like, well, we're not safe here, but that's a pretty interesting take, I think. 
So here's where, even though we're criticizing this plot line, here's where I want to give Lauren Histrick a lot of credit because she went on Twitter to talk about this plot line specifically, and she accepted the criticism openly and made suggestions along the lines of some of the things we have said about how it could have worked better, which is very different than, say, I don't know, Ridley Scott being like, ah, these kids today. Go to a movie theater. Like, yeah, like, come on, man. Don't push it all on other people. Like, there are other problems. I haven't even seen that movie. Come on. COVID's the main problem here, dude. I mean, come on. And his attitude. Be real. So his attitude sucks. Whereas Lauren Hitchens' attitude is great. She's like, I'm a fan too. I want to get this right. If you guys tell me I'm wrong and enough people tell me that, I'm going to listen. And I do really appreciate that. That gives me a lot of confidence for the the next five seasons, assuming they get to do all those, which really looks like they will, given how successful this all is. There's some really great tonal elements and imagery we get with Vesemir and Geralt in a cave later on and stuff like that. There's like some really great sentimentality that I think spans from this and we get some great character growth for other characters like Vesemir and stuff. And of course, we talked about this. I was like, ah, no. But there's also some things that are really positive that happen from this too. I have real major issues with some of the stuff like that. Even just logically, I just don't get how uh, Leshy transformation could happen in a castle full of witchers who know somebody is acting weird and whatever but it's very hard like a making tv is very hard b making tv that has been from the beginning affected by like i i don't know if this is true but like in my head the witcher is like the ongoing project of covid yeah two years for this right they were so affected at the beginning yeah christopher heaves you got COVID on the set of The Witcher. Like, it's a very <laughs> difficult thing. And didn't they have to recast mm-hmm. Eskel? So I wonder if the plot was not quite this and stuff changed. I actually don't think creators are, like, obligated to respond to fans ever. But, like, I, I no, really appreciate I that Lauren did that. And, like, it certainly didn't ruin the season for me. It's just, like, I didn't like this part. And, okay, we can move on. Yeah, right on. Yeah, we don't have to, like, linger. I've definitely noticed a lot of anger from video game fans. We've got to remember that The Witcher 3 is not canon for book stuff. But I do agree because the story goes on and Eskel has a huge role to play in The Witcher 3 games. So, yeah, and he has a huge story, like him and specifically Lambert. Just to build on what McCall was saying about how they didn't detect him until I guess that was part of the way they rushed it because it happened so quickly but on the other hand when they did show it it was like all the, the medallions so on the cool. tree were jiggling that was cool so at least they saved it for something cool like that like a big all at once moment later then they go and put his medallion on the tree too which was sort of bookend that The eyes. Like, Geralt has the most outstanding eyes. They're bright yellow or whatever. Some of the witchers don't really have different eyes, and some of them it's hard to tell. Like, Vesemir is a pretty normal looking. Cohen had two different colored eyes. He had, like, heterochromia, which looked cool. And then Eskel's eyes, I don't know if y'all noticed, but it's the best time to notice is in the flashback. So, in the beginning of episode three, they're like this really neat, like, blue, then red, then blue, like, at the same time. It's super cool. I don't know what the hell they did there, but, like, Good job, production. Team. So let's let's talk about some of the, the best elements of Caramorn. Personally, some of my favorite. I, I mean, I think my favorite scene of the whole episode is when Vesemir is taking Siri for a tour. I love that. Yeah, <laughs> can't help myself. Call that the Lord. Is so cool. Well, that that scene is so crazy because it's literally the answer to Yennefer's 
plotline. Yeah. Like they, they go down into the Deathless Mother thing and they're like, what is this? The dagger. And then Vesemir's like, okay, so here's the dagger from this woods witch who we trapped in a cabin and she really liked this dagger and uh, she's bad, so we shouldn't let her out again ever. And I'm like, oh, okay, on rewatch, that's, yeah. that's literally And then we have like, that element. Then we also have uh, Vesemir showing Siri to Declan and we saw the Nightmare of the Wolf. Declan was obviously yeah. one of the witchers that was killed and he was the one helping them create monsters, these mutations, so they can continue to fund Karen Morton, essentially. I love that element. Yeah. And then Siri says, oh, Declan was uh, a father to you? And he's like, uh, sort of, kind of. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, he says something like but, that. Yeah. <laughs> there's a small little facial twitch he has, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm just, it's such a small thing. It only happens for a second, but wishers are supposed to be emotionless in Vesemir. You can tell, like, even though Vesemir is super old, that's something that has definitely scarred him. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's the oldest one there, so that kind of elects him or nominates him yeah. as the, the keeper of a lot of this stuff and the one who's, like, he has to pass down this oral history or no one will know it. My first, when I first saw the scene, I thought we were getting Witcher blood origin stuff, but I, I don't think that anymore, having watched it again, because that's the first elven Witcher. This is the first human Witcher, and he says this was Clef, or Cliff was the name of the guy that was they were talking about that helped, that died in the process of imprisoning Deathless Mother the first time. The quote is, one of the oldest monsters, a demon, long extinct. She wreaked havoc until the witchers bound her deep into the forest. Good thing no one's going to let her out. Yeah. <laughs> so Vesemir's not quite right about her being extinct. Bound her, he even says it almost like contradicts himself. He's like, extinct, but bound her deep in the forest. So she's not actually dead. And that is the dagger that Ciri, unless mm-hmm. I remember Same one. that's the dagger that Ciri... She goes, like, right for it. Yeah. Yeah, One thing on the blood origin thing, just to clarify, I think a lot of people are going to be confused. It's about the first witcher. It's about the origins of elder blood and elven blood and the first witcher. So there is – if you look at the trailer again, a lot of elves here. Yeah, yeah, it's because the first human mm. witcher was only like three hundred years ago. But the like but the school of witchering has a much there's a longer history as opposed to just the human witchering. Yeah, right on. It took a while for human civilization to get going, but the monsters were there right away, and the monsters were really bad right away because, as Geralt says about the Leshy, they can't reproduce. So any they're so they're pretty rare because the only ones you see are ones that have been around since the conjunction, which is again thirteen hundred years ago. So that's. Uh, yeah, that's no wonder there aren't many left. They're highly, yeah, they're super so. dangerous. So it's cool that we got to see a little bit of that. Yeah. There's this line from Vesemir that also, yet an- another Nightmare of the Wolf reference. He says, Remember the last time witchers put their noses in the drama of kingdoms? He's right to point that out. On the other hand, the drama's coming for them. They can't hide from it. That's an, an important message, or you could almost call it a conclusion of this episode, especially Geralt and, and Vesemir seem to realize that. Maybe Vesemir realizes it later, but. Maybe not. I don't, I'm not clear on that, but Geralt realizes it right away. Obviously, that's how the episode ends. He's like, starts training her in swordplay. All right, here's the steps. He doesn't say, follow me, but she knows. <laughs> He's like, oh, we're, we're doing this now. Cool. All right, I'm ready. Yeah, give me that sword. All right, yeah, let's train. Here we go. Also, it's, it's a little bit of an oversimplification of what happened when, like, remember how <laughs> you were sort of making monsters, like, just 
small detail there. I mean, not that it was justified, but there's more than one thing. But, you know what I also love yeah. about men right in the uh, men killed right in these halls is a little bit of foreshadowing for people being killed in the halls later on. And I mean, obviously the dagger is a lot of foreshadowing to the last episode of the season, which I really loved. That's a really good point. Yeah, there's some um, bits of interesting mirroring here, like Vesemir and Siri together. I, that had yeah. way more power than I thought it would, those two characters together. First of all, so Siri has this great moment where she's looking at the Sintran scarf that she managed to keep with her. And that is a really powerful symbol of home. And this is her new home, sort of. But it's also Vesemir and Geralt's home. So twice she lives through her, her new home gets invaded immediately, which is something that Vesemir hadn't seen since the the keep was destroyed over 100 years ago. So this to him is really meaningful that now his home has been invaded twice, although they were very far apart. And that's a huge point to establishing that nothing and nowhere is safe. They have to face And he's basically the Sherlock home of the Witcher, so he's going to want to find out the reason why. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's not going to be like, oh, I don't want to know why this happened. He's a very inquisitive person. Here's a really good end line from Geralt. He says, power and purpose, a chance to survive the horror. Exactly what Yen, Francesca, and Frangilla were all looking for when they went to the Deathless Mother, or not went to. Well, that's what they were hoping to get. Like, Yen's a little wiser about it, but she still wants those things. She just doesn't <laughs> want them from the Deathless Mother. <laughs> Francesca and Frangilla are like, all right, this is my one chance to get what I need. Power and purpose, a chance to survive the horror. And it's- so it's very well, it's very succinct. Yeah, yeah. That- <laughs> It is a little bit like, keep your expectations low <laughs> in this story. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to get better We're talking about that. surviving. We're not, <laughs> yeah, we're not talking about thriving. We're talking yeah. about surviving. <laughs> it's going to be horrible. Like, horrible. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually, I think it was Aziz, you, you pointed out a lot of the, the rats references oh. in Kermoran. Oh, and yeah, that... Having watched it again, there were like five times where the camera was only on a rat or two rats and then nothing else. Like, hmm, rats, eh? Mm. Siri. And, and they're always like around Siri. Like, Siri and the rats, eh? Hmm, what's that about? Without spoiling <laughs> too much, uh, for those of you who haven't read the books, rats are important. <laughs> One thing that I think we should all start, we talk a little bit about the CGI and the fights and stuff. Oh, man, wow. Geralt and Vesemir fighting... Lash, what's it? How should I say? Lesk, uh, lash, lashical. I don't know. Lashical together. <laughs> it's got three of the same letters. It's five letters long. Yeah, you know, you're a leshy cow. So, but I, I thought that was great. Like the hooks and them working in unison. Like you could definitely like. Obviously, season one had great choreography, but you can just definitely tell they turned it up a notch. And there's all sorts of different great angles, you know what I mean? The different kind of shots with Tissay and Kahir. There's definitely some of those great angles in that shot, too, from the, the Lashy perspective mm-hmm. and Askel and Vazimir and Geralt. So I really loved how the camera work really worked. Yeah, they did this really weird thing where, weird, cool. I just, I, I say weird because I don't remember ever seeing anything like it. I'm not a super, like, observant guy on camera angles. But when Geralt rolls over the table... The camera rolls with him like it goes upside down with him like it flips with the same. And I was like, that was really neat. Like, they had, oh, yeah. they had some really stuff. interesting. Yeah, this is a witcher, witchery fight stuff like the, they put their stamp on it. Like they did use some of the Sherlocky Holmes slow-mo stuff later in the season. But I definitely like the kind of more like yeah. visceral like, oh, this is we're in the moment, like really following what's going on. They can only fit so much into these episodes. And I was like, well, damn, they really started us off with quite a lot in the first two episodes. They like really hit us with two big, powerful, emotional episodes. And I was like, okay, if this is a determining factor for what we're going to see for the rest of the season. And I mean, guys, like 
yeah, this season is intense, but the story only gets more serious and more impactful as the books go on. So I was like really impressed how they hit us with the, in these first two episodes. I'm just going to say that. We really like how things were left at the end. We, even if they didn't take the right or agreeable path to get to certain plot lines, the way things were left at the end of the season is, was, I think all three of us agreed, was very strong. And we're not going to get into the specifics of that, but I wanted to set that up and lay that expectation so that we can build towards why and we'll be explaining that. There's a lot of threads you can follow through the season that even if you don't like necessarily their origin point, they are objectively very important and and play out really well. Like, for example, the Eskel stuff didn't like that much, but then we have the awesome, amazing cave scene with Vesemir and Geralt, which we'll talk about in our next review. So stuff like that gets set up. I feel like this season was a very set up-y season in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. I agree with you there. Um, yeah. I have two things to say. One, RIP to the poor sex worker who had the bad luck of getting paired up yep. with Eskel. <laughs> yep. Bummer. Bummer for And um, <laughs> I hated both these episodes because there was no ESG, so <laughs> they suck. <laughs> They're terrible. And I will say that. <laughs> and before we get into funny moments, we do have a Facebook group, The Podcast Surprise. Come join us there. We have all sorts of discussions and stuff like that. So, yeah. Uh, let's get into our last funny moments, and then we're going to wrap yeah. this up. When Yennefer wakes up in episode one, she like, looks around. She's like, fuck. When Fringilla wakes up in episode two, she looks around and says, fuck. <laughs> so they're just building on the Geralt saying that, that everyone gets their chance to be like, fuck. <laughs> it's an honest reaction. <laughs> I washed the bastless blood out of your hair. It was wyvern blood. <laughs> there's another book reference joke, which they do, as I've said, and as a lot of you'll notice, there's a lot of them for like from that, like that dancing on the graves joke. And this one is Geralt comes out and is like, what about Siri? And Vesemir is like, Oh, yeah, she, she was pounding white gall and dancing on the table. <laughs> Which, if you all remember, she drinks white gall in the book and Blood of Elves and goes into a trance and get, drops dark prophecies. So they're like, oh. And then Triss, like, gets on their case for giving her, like, you shouldn't be giving her hallucinogen. She's like, no, it's a natural. It's a natural hallucinogen. It won't even affect your allergies because it's totally just grows that way. Black oh, gall is the yeah, one that black takes gall. the end of... Out, right. is the one he takes it's something more in the last episode of last season which is where he, he's pouring it on his wounds and after he got injured by the grave ears or whatever those were the leg wound and he's dying <laughs> yeah so all that i like the shade thrown in task yeah. here you know obviously don't meet him yet when they're like i hear you used to be the king of the elves and blah 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 and, and phil evangel's like the lying bard and his tunes <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everyone. We hope that you're all having a great time wherever you are on the continent. Of course, be safe. And we highly encourage you to come back to listen to our next episode. So thanks, everyone. And you guys all have a great night. Bye. Bye.